Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Many of us would agree that, in design-build work anyway, the measure of success in what we do as landscape designers is, for the most part, determined by our ability to creatively and realistically conceptualize a space. Designing, specifying, and finally building those spaces are quite another story. Our accomplishments as designers hinge on an aptitude with a wide range of materials and related systems of measure. Among the benchmarks of a project's success are tolerances for structural stability, construction sizing for efficiency and minimizing waste, dimensioning spaces for human comfort, and considerations of prudent horticultural spacing to allow for growth over time. I know it's controversial to say, but I believe that many college design programs simply don't adequately address basic issues of dimension, volume, and measure. Instead, schools disproportionately spend time having students churn out cloudy conceptualizations of space in plan view. There's always some discussion of dimensioning, of course, but a real drill down into how varied materials are measured for sale and construction is lacking. And scores of designers will graduate annually without a basis in the measure of things. So, in the limited space that this podcast allows, what are some of the key dimensions that come up often in residential landscape design? Off the cuff, here are some basic rules of thumb. Let's talk people parameters and about patio and table area. Patios need to be bigger than you think. Four people sitting around a table may need 150 square feet or more of space. Think about it. Get up from where you're sitting, move your chair out, and stand behind it. Now turn sideways. You may be eight feet or more from your counterpart doing the same thing on the other side of the table. Add a few pots and a bit of extra room. Boom, you are easily at 150 square feet or more. If you're seating, say, six at a picnic table size, you may need as much as 18 feet on the long side and 16 feet across. Again, this may seem too generous, but my rule of thumb here is that a guest can get up, scoot their chair out, and walk behind it, without needing to step into an adjacent lawn or a bed area. Seat heights for seating areas need to be at least 18 inches and not more than 32 inches in height for comfort. Above that, and you're gonna be hopping up to sit down. Seat width might be at least 18 inches or so, or it may become uncomfortable. If you're doing an outdoor kitchen, your countertops should be 24 inches wide, minimum to 32 inches wide, if accessed from both sides. This is just a few items. Okay, it's time to make some circulation calibrations here. Walkways typically must be at least 24 inches wide to fit a single person walking, and usually no more than 36 inches to feel more pedestrian in nature. A much wider walkway is better suited to a grander entrance that needs to be sized relative then to a larger space or perhaps in a commercial application. 
Step height and risers have a special relationship that compares the tread depth to the height of the rise. In this case, the riser dimension plus the tread should equal about 17 inches overall. In consideration of this, risers should be five inches at a minimum height, up to eight inches at a maximum height. For ease of a calculation, some folks will say two times the riser plus the tread equals 24 inches. Design no more than seven steps without a landing and no riser less than four inches in height or it can become a trip hazard. How about some guidelines for deck dimensioning that might be helpful? If you're guessing for a rough framing plan, pressure treated deck post spacing can typically be considered as no more than six feet on center with beams at 24 inches on center. This is dependent upon the lumber size and of course the configuration of the deck. So it's not cast in stone, but important as just a general rule. Most residential decks are designed to accommodate a 40 pound per square foot rating. And you should of course refer to a carpentry table to do this accurately. Deck railings are typically specified at 36 to 42 inches above the deck, but OSHA rail heights should be at least 42 to 45 inches for a top rail and 30 to 38 inches for a handrail with a minimum hand grip of about two inches in width. Be mindful of the rail picket spacing as well, sometimes considered to be four inches on center. That is no wider than a child's head might fit through. A rail should be a consideration if you exceed more than three steps and may be required at any house entry step. In most municipalities, a deck is required for permitting above 30 or 32 inches or above a certain square footage in size, including a renovation of an existing deck. So you should check your local code on that. Let's talk about bulk basics. Soil and bark measured in cubic yards are important items to understand as we use them quite often. It can be confusing for the layperson, so here's how you might explain it to a client. A cubic yard is about seven wheelbarrows covering 300 square feet, about an inch deep. 300 square feet is about the size of two small parking spaces. With this in mind, a thousand square feet then will yield about three cubic yards per inch. You might also factor in another 10% for settling or shrinkage. Keep in mind that you might see more shrinkage from coarser soils like compost than from finer soils. Looking at raised garden beds, these should be optimally about four by eight feet if carpentered. This efficiently uses the wood. In fact, designing with wood in four to eight foot increments is always a good idea because of this. Raised beds should be separated by at least a 36 inches or so of width, enough room for a wheelbarrow to access through. For soil, you might use as much as two cubic yards of soil for each of these beds. Yes, there are rock rules as well. Stone tonnage is sometimes hard to figure out. Consider that a ton of one-man stone might be 20 boulders, perhaps. Also, a quote, one-man, unquote, stone isn't what many people believe to be what one man can lift. Rather, it's what one man or, or woman, okay, can lift with a seven-foot pry bar. Rock purveyors will commonly measure to the latter, lay people to the former. 
If you order this kind of rock for delivery, expect bigger stones. So be careful when you're ordering from a rock yard. Granite, local, or one of our local stones, is denser than basalt and yields less per rock ton of weight. Rock in your area, of course, will vary. Flagstone installation is typically figured in what is termed two inch minus for sandset installations, or even thinner at one inches or so for mortared work. The thicker the stone, the better the resistance to breakage in a freeze-thaw environment, of course, based upon the stone type. Coverage in flagstone tonnage yields about 70 square feet per ton, a bit less than most suppliers will usually suggest, as a bit of the stone is lost to wastage and cutting. How about some of the other stuff? Trench depth can be critical when sinking conduit for 110 volt or a gas line. Most trenches are safely buried at 24 inches or deeper. Water feature sizing is always what we call a swag or what might be called a super wild ass gas for most designers. Unless you're specifying a pondless kit for construction, you'll want to use two times your stream square footage to size your lowest pond vessel. There are always municipal codes for this kind of construction, so check your local area. In many cases, for water features, you won't be allowed to build more than 18 inches deep, or you may trigger a fence requirement similar to what is required for a swimming pool. This is what's called an attractive nuisance if you make it too deep. Sport court areas will vary by sport that's played. You can see these details easily online for various sports, such as half-court basketball, tennis, or pickleball. Sheds and outbuildings in some municipalities will not be allowed to exceed 120 square feet without a permit, sometimes as much as 192 square feet in Seattle. Again, see your local code on this and pay special attention to setbacks and easement areas. This barely touches on the myriad of measurements that we encounter in our work every day. Opinions may differ about correct construction, and some of the units above may not work for you for one reason or another. What measures have I missed? Are there any more dimensions to delineate? Check out the links at the intro online here and let us know what we missed at the Green Meridian Facebook page. Hey, thanks for listening.